born in the pandemic era, thriving in the Zoom era, it's Resonance Rewind with Robin Pierce, Jessica Burtis, Jenny Bill, Alex Lefchuk, and more, sharing lessons from the creatives of yesteryear for the population of today. The ever-dwindling population, because quite frankly, we're still in the pandemic era. Not 30 minutes early, but six days late. Sir Curtis Serezzi, Annabelle Hurst, Stuart Sullivan, Jason King. Department S is called into action for another Resonance Rewind. travel to Albania, Robin Pierce. I don't know. Let's do the summation of six days for this particular episode. Six days. Okay, this is the opening episode of Department S, a series broadcast in 1969, uh, one of the ITC series. Um, Department S, I'm not quite sure, and I'm hoping that our special guest tonight can enlighten me on this, what the S stands for. But Department S is a specialist department within Interpol that investigates the unexplained, the illogical, the crimes that uh, other departments have given up on. And in this way, it's very much a precursor to the X-Files. So what we have is a team of three Though I'm not sure if the, the one of them is actually a member of the team. We have Annabelle Hurst, who is a computer analyst, an expert lockpicker, also a mistress of disguise, and very quick with coming up with, well, kind of plausible excuses as to why she is where she's not supposed to be. We have Stuart Sullivan, played by Joel Fabiani, the fast-talking, hard-punching secret agent, essential for overseas sales and we have the well peculiarly camp and flamboyant jason king who is actually an author um, and uses his expertise and his imagination in helping department s solve these crimes it should also be noted that this is a guy who drives to a stakeout in a bentley you don't get any more stylish than that well, this is the opening episode, and it's 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 strange in a few ways. There is absolutely 
no setup. There's no origin. There's no introduction. These guys have been working together for quite a while, and they're dropped into a mystery. And the way it presents itself is also kind of X-Files-like, with an actual date being given and a location for where the mystery is happening, which gives it a kind of documentary feel in the opening. This is uh, Six Days. The episode title is shown before the actual introduction and theme music and credits for the series, which is very unusual for the time. So we have a, a passenger airliner, um, Airstar Golf Alpha Zulu Echo Bravo, on a trip from Karachi to London on July the 17th. It lands half an hour ahead of schedule, or so they think. Much consternation is happening in, in uh, Heathrow Airport when they find that it's actually six days late. Where has it been? Nobody has a clue. So Department S are called in to, to investigate. Now, a lot of things can happen in six days, including brainwashing. What's going on? <laughs> They're all suspects, guys. They're all suspects. Especially when you have three VIPs on the case, which is kind of what we have on tonight's uh, Resonance Rewind, of course, with the Not special VIP. Uh, Government uh, right. officials, you can't trust those for a second. As, as indeed one of the Albanians actually was quoted as actually saying, your democracy, it too is a police state. Says it all. It's predictions in so many ways. Um, we have a special VIP, as you mentioned, in the uh, uh, the Residence Rewind area. That's Rick Davy, of course, from uh, uh, many sort of areas with respect to ITC and so on and so forth. Rick, Rick welcome back to uh, Department uh, S, uh, our, our scenario for this. You were very keen to actually be, when I, when I sort of put the invite out, etc. you said, oh, Department S, does this mean it, it's, it ranks higher for you than the champions? It does. I love Department S. I think it's a fantastic series. Just to answer Robin's question, the S just simply stands for special. They work for the special oh. department of Interpol. So um, oh, right. that's what the S stands for. It just simply stands for special. Um, and I think it's a special series. I've been pondering I that since 1969. <laughs> there you go. If only we knew each other then, I could have, uh, I could have told you. What could we do? Um, no, I love Department S. I think it has all the elements that make a really great ITC show. So it has a, it has a really sort of um, top personality lead, you know, a flamboyant character as the lead character. Although in this episode, Jason... The character of Jason is kind of playing second fiddle a little bit to, to Stuart Sullivan, who seems to get the lead on, on the, the lead role, so to speak, on this episode. We don't see a lot of Jason, which uh, I think he's, he's much more um, apparent in other episodes and takes much more of a lead. Um, but it's got great music. It's got a great theme tune. I think the, the pre-title sequences are always really uh, interesting because it builds up. And I think there was a line from Stuart Sullivan in the episode, you know, oh, we know when and we know the the who, but do we know the why? And that's what Department S does in every episode. It gives you a it gives you a teaser and you think, well, why has that happened? And then you begin to it begins to unravel as to why it's happened. And then you begin to think, well, who's done it? And then it begins to unravel who has done it. And then you get the why they've done it at the end of the episode. And every Department S episode follows that. So it means as the viewer, you've got something to try and work out as you go along, uh, along with the protagonist in the episode. I think Department S is a great series and I think this is a great opener 
Though Robin's quite correct, there's no setup. You don't get any any uh, explanation as to who these people are or why they're working on the case. And that's true of every episode. There is never a setup episode of, of Department S. It's one of those series where you're just thrown in and expected to know who the characters are from the off. But I love the series and I love this episode. of science is its incestuous obsession with itself science for science's sake uh peter wingard of course uh, echoing the jason king line when annabelle is doing her very best without her computer auntie who appears later in the series uh, but actually uh trying to actually suss out what was happening and why this albania scenario here uh, let's turn to jessica burtis who together with her mum probably actually just experienced in north carolina your first taste of department s jessica your thoughts please yeah, so we watched it. Um, my dad also joined in halfway through because um, it reminded him of a lot of shows he used to watch, like UFO. Um, and this, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned The Champions because I was trying to figure out what we had watched that this reminded me so much of. And I think it is The Champions. Um, but this one was really fun. I think it was great seeing all the 60s fashion and technology, um, all the gadgets from from the 60s, 70s era. Um, and the plot was actually really interesting. I liked the whole... Um, You've seen it a lot in some shows now, like Manifest, my mom mentioned, where, you know, the disappearance of a plane and what happened and where was it for those missing days, those six days. Um, so that was fun. And anything with spies kind of running around and trying to cross each other. That <laughs> was just exciting. I loved um, all the humor in it as well. Um, the the middleman, the Albanian man, uh, is it Sullivan? Was that what his name was Sullivan was the American agent for for Department S. Uh, Borovic uh, was the yeah. mustachioed Albanian who came to an untimely end after he'd already sort of bluffed his way through not being able to fly a plane in the first place because there are lots of Boroviches <laughs> around. It's a very popular yeah. name. My dad thought that was really funny. Um, that scene in the plane, it was a little wild. Uh, so I think it had a lot of elements to it that made it fun. It was a little crazy, a little kooky, but really fun. <laughs> Interesting in terms of Bernard Hosfall, of course, who was uh, pretty much a regular of a number of shows as, as the pilot there. Uh, Pamela Suman, who sadly couldn't be with us because she's actually on a location shoot, uh, actually sends her best wishes to everybody. She likes the swanky and weird tone of the show and likes the steward who checks on everyone in the plane, uh, which is something that obviously Astra Airlines were, were very keen on. Uh, you mentioned, of course, uh, UFO there, Jessica. Uh, I well recall Wednesday evenings, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m in the Time Tees region uh, after UFO had sort of wrapped. Uh, this was what uh, filled in the time slot. So again, Department S followed through with that. And I think I was a slightly uh, concerned at the time in terms of it didn't have as much gadget as, as UFO. Even I knew that a tape recorder wasn't that exotic, although it was nice to see Stuart Sullivan say, I've got a tape recorder. 
we want to have authentic voices, which was wonderful. Um, also, I have to say, and I appreciate we're not going to go down the line of Peter Wingard, who made an excellent Clytus in Flash Gordon. I did find Jason King, especially in his own series, just a little bit creepy, but that's a by the by. Uh, let's, uh, let's turn to Jenny. Uh, what are your thoughts on Department S, this particular episode, directed by um, Cyril Frankel, of course, uh, who was brought in to set the tone and also filmed at the same time simultaneously as Randall and Hopkirk deceased. Over to you, Jenny. Talking of Jason King, I had seen Jason King and I really didn't like the Jason King series. Um, I've heard of Department S, but I had never, ever seen it before. Um, I have seen The Champions and I, to me, this is infinitely better than The Champions. Um, obviously, it's kind of similar, a girl and two guys and they're spies and everything. And anything that's set in this era that, that that parts of it are in London. Obviously I come from London and I was a child then. So it's a really lovely memories for me. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really liked the, um, the sort of the pace, the pace of it. I actually like the fact that it just started and we didn't have to make do, you know, we have all the introduction stuff, which often takes up a lot of time. And I like the way that it actually, it moved quite quickly and, but, you never there wasn't a point where you think well what on earth's going on I didn't I don't get that bit I thought it was really really well scripted um it, it was really sort of well time managed um I thought the acting was great I thought the interaction between the three characters I, I do I did read a little bit how they didn't get on so well off screen but I thought on screen I thought they picked three really dynamic characters in different ways that interacted really well so yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it and I loved all the the plot twists and you didn't really think, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. And then there was kind of red herrings and everything. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Cyril Frankel, of course, directed this as he directed many of the ITC series. And it's fair to say, Rick, that clearly we are looking back over the era of uh, Lou Grade, who were uh, very much together with Dennis Spooner and Monty Burnham, uh, of course, Montague Berman, um, were developing this, this ITC brand. As I said, this was shot simultaneously with Randall and Hotcock Deceased. We'll be covering that, obviously, with an Andre in the not too distant future. Um, I mean, did you feel, do you feel, Rick, this is when ITC was at its height, or do you feel as though that was with something like Gideon's Way? No, I, I think the late 60s were very much when it was at its height. I think these shows were almost the last hurrah. They got the persuaders to come a couple of years later. That was probably the, 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 you know, the end of when things started <laughs> to, to end for ITC. But you're absolutely right that this was filmed back to back with Round and Hopkirk. And that was simply a cost cutting exercise. It meant they could share the sets. I could the director, so Cyril Frankel would do, you know, three or four days doing Department S and then just cross over to the next soundstage, do an episode of Randall Hopkirk. Um, I, I loved what Jenny said about the episode. It was incredibly well scripted. Everything was there for you as the viewer, but it didn't give it away. But it was all completely understandable. Um, as you as you watched it, you knew what was happening, even though you didn't know what was going to happen next. And um, it was also very well acted. There's some great guest stars. Peter Bowles is going to work. Um, I, I think the performances were great. You've got one of the dirty dozen in there, Al Mancini. Um, Bernard Horsfall, always a reliable um, actor. And Peter Bowles was great, even though the accent did leave a bit to be desired. And there was a lovely, funny scene just as he was in the throes of dying 
where it was almost like a love scene between him and Bernard Horsfall, wasn't it? As though he'd say goodbye to his lover or something. That was a, a, a very peculiarly played scene, but I still enjoyed it. I think it's a great episode, a great opening episode for a series. It does leave you wanting to watch more. Um, and, and there are lots of other great episodes, so I'd recommend to our cast to check out a few of them. Last Train to Redbridge is particularly a, 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 a great episode that any fan of the ITC genre should watch Last Train to Redbridge. Um, and I think this was the pinnacle of ITC because they 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 done the earlier series, the black and white gritty stuff like Gideon's Way. But I think ITC is at its best when it's fun. Um, and this episode doesn't, and this series doesn't take itself overly seriously because it does have the humour in there. And the, the, the Jason King character allows that. And as Jenny said, the interplay between the three actors is really, really nice. And you get an ongoing kind of will they, won't they, are they or aren't they between Stuart and Annabelle as the episodes go on as well. Um, and I think ITC is its best when the episodes in the series are fun, like the champions, like this, like UFO. They have that slightly camp element, if, I, if it's OK to use that word, where everything is kind of not dour and serious. So much as I love Gideon's Way and, and the, the, you know, the Four Just Men and, and, and those early series and some of the later stuff like Man in a Suitcase, which, again, is fairly humorous, I prefer the fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, certainly the uh, introduction, of course, of somebody we haven't mentioned, of course, as yet, which is the, the lead character, Sir Curtis Soretzi, uh, played by Dennis Alaba Peters. Um, one of the key th sort of things, etc. again, at the time, and we'll, we'll turn to you again, Rick, for, for this one, uh, quite a bold decision to actually have uh, a, a black actor portraying a, a lead heroic role in an ongoing uh, series. I mean, we wouldn't think about it today, but again, often sort of uh, in an era where we're often sort of looking back and saying, oh, you know, stereotypes are bounded in this. I mean, that, that was a really important character who I think because they'd actually used this as the start of the uh, of, of the series, uh, had been hadn't been introduced in, in the original sort of line that was there, but obviously came in as the man who was in charge of the whole Department S. Yeah, I think it was very brave and it was very unusual at that time. I think black actors were largely, and, and, and Asian actors as well, were largely seen as, oh, well, um, you know, secret agent is going to Africa. We need a black actor to play the man behind the reception desk or the uh, or, or, or the local taxi driver. And, and there are actors from that period, such as the, the, the wonderful and great Earl Cameron, who would often be called in to fill those roles. But Kwok, you know, was always the face that popped up if Danger Man or whoever was going to China or Japan or whatever. So I think it was very brave not only to cast a black actor in a fairly leading role, which in itself was unusual, but as you say, he was the boss. He was the man in charge. And I think it's a great performance, actually, by um, uh, by the by the actor concerned, because he does play it with a really nice reverence. You believe in the character and you're, you're liking the fact that he, he's in the position that he's in it, 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 so much so that you forget that he's a black actor after only a few seconds. You do have that initial. That's unusual for the time reaction but he, the performance is so good and it's so natural of course that somebody uh, from any race should be in any role that you do forget about it I think that's a tribute to the actor who at the time must have been thinking to himself well this is an unusual role for me normally I'm the, the taxi driver or the barman or whatever Jessica favorite characters you know <laughs> I think there were fun things about honestly every single character like they all made me laugh at some point um I think that the the two that went off on um, the little adventure to the apartment, um, I forget their names. Jason the King and Annabelle Hurst. 
Yes, they were really funny together. They were a very funny duo. I like both of them equally. Um, I love the whole like plot line going on there um, with them going like back and forth with uh, the evil dude and his girlfriend and <laughs> all the confusion happening there. Um, I thought it was just very funny to watch. Um, so that was probably my favorite. They were my favorite characters. And was that meta narrative, of course, with the character Mark Kane that even uh, the uh, uh, Annabelle uh, Hurst actually sort of tries to give a plot line to uh, to, to Jason with an ear splitting explosion, the ceiling um, uh, blew up, uh, blew off greedily, his lungs sucked in the fresh air. Uh, very much sort of the pulp fiction of the time. And, and of course, we see Mark Kane emerging more and more as, as uh, uh, Jason King, the writer, fancy books. And apparently this was Peter Wingart's uh, insertion. He, he, by all accounts, could be a bit of a diva, uh, according to certainly Cyril Frankel. And so, I mean, Rick, have you actually encountered any of the, the cast? Because it's fair to say that actually Joel Febiani is, is obviously still with us and, and doing some stuff. Um, less so in the case of Rosemary Nichols. I think she's effectively retired for, for, from the uh, the business. But uh, any thoughts in terms of obviously the the surviving uh, behind the scenes folk at search? I mean, I I, uh, I think a few of them are still with us, thankfully. Yeah, no, I, I've I've come across a few people who kind of guested in in episodes. Um, I haven't personally. Um, I, I met Peter Wingard uh, briefly before he passed away, and you're right that that Rosemary Nichols uh, has pretty much retired from the industry. I think she lives in France now. And I think she was interviewed for the uh, for the uh, DVD release that Network put out. But she's one of those people who's been uh, very unlike, you know, the opposite of Annette Andre, who's always so forthcoming in wanting to talk about her career and, and so forth. Rosemary Nichols seems a little bit reticent to do so. And Joel Fabiani, of course, is, is still in the States. And I think that's a shame because... Uh, and it's a shame, I think, that there was only one series of Department S made because it wasn't a series that grew weaker as the episodes went on. Mm. I think the three um, um, actors do an excellent job and they do stand alone. It's much weaker. I think Jenny was absolutely correct that that series just wasn't the same as Department S. There was something, and I agree with you, Alex, there was something a little bit creepy about the character that you don't quite get across. You see, In Department S, he's kind of, you think he's eccentric and you kind of think, oh, well, what do the ladies see in him? I can't see it myself kind of thing but he does get much more uh, much creepier in, um, in, in 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 his own series um yeah i mean jason jason uh, king is something we'll what be talking about help that is that that was filmed on 60 <laughs> That's, that's true. You, you're breaking up slightly there, uh, Rick, but I think in, in terms of uh, Jason King, the series, we will look looking at it, but not in the immediate... Oh, sorry future. about that. There, there are other areas to come through. Okay, well, Robin, I'm you've been listening to, to the team, <laughs> listening to the team's views there and, and thoughts on that sort of thing. So does this kind of resonate with yourself? Do you think, yeah, actually, as you said, a, a precursor to not only the X-Files, but also series like Castle, where you have a, a crime writer, uh, even Murder, She Wrote, arguably, uh, actually involved with, with mysteries and so on. But this particular thing, using that, that wonderful uh, line of what could possibly be the case. Yeah, um, I think I honed in on X-Files more because they are a government agency and they are dealing with the unexplained. And I, I am actually undertaking a, a full rewatch of X-Files at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I came to this and I hadn't actually seen this series uh, since I saw a handful of episodes in the 60s. And if you'd have asked me, uh, say, Wednesday about the cast, 
I'd have said, well, you know, Jason King, then there's the American guy. And I can't actually remember what the girl did. I think she was there, but I can't remember what she did. And that was the impression of that, you know, that I've been holding since uh, since I was about nine years old. But in watching the episode, I, I picked up on a few things. I mean, there was a little bit of antagonism between Jason King and Annabelle Hurst. Um, I don't know whether that was something that was going on backstage or, or, or what, but they seem to be kind of needling each other, which which I found realistic because, you know, colleagues don't always get on, especially in high pressure situations, as in turning up to a covert stakeout in a Bentley. Anyway, <laughs> um, favorite characters. It would never be Jason King, because even as a nine-year-old, I found him intensely creepy and off-putting. Um, <laughs> I never understood how he could quite be as much of a ladies' man as the character was made out to be, because he seems to have fallen from the very top of the camp tree and hit every branch on the way down. If you're a Peter Wingard fans, I do apologise, but he did ask me my opinion, and that's about it. Joel Fabiani, you could probably put any American actor in what he does, because he doesn't have a lot of elbow room in what he does. He, he could even be, you know, Stuart Damon from The Champions. They seem to be cut from the same mould. But the standout character, and I surprised myself in this, being I had no recollection of what she did, was Rosemary Nichols as Annabelle Hurst. And I, I thought, you know, sort of, she was just window dressing, is what I would have told you earlier on in the week. But, you know, the computer analyst and, you know, the lock picking, the, the kind of, you know, instant quick thinking, though I'm not sure where the blonde wig came from. Maybe, maybe it was in her handbag all the time. Always but, essential to carry a blonde wig with your good self. I mean, I find I never I go will anywhere remember without a blonde that. wig. It's important. But um, she came across as... Oh, I was going to say well-rounded, but it sounds just like I'm making misogynistic remarks here. But she was the more credible of all of them. Um, she she did a far better... Um, she, she, she played her role better than Alexandra Bastido in The Champions. I think this is far superior to The Champions in many ways. Nowhere near The Avengers or The Saint or any of those. Um, I think this this is very much ITC's kind of last gasp. Um, I think my favourite thing about the episode was just watching it and being a child of the 60s, you know, seeing the cars, some of the outrageous things that people used to wear, <laughs> airline travel still sort of portrayed as something exotic <laughs> and more confusing of all, parking spaces in London. Never have I seen a parking space in London.
an interesting scenario. Jenny, what about yourself? I mean, we haven't talked about Geraldine Moffat, of course, as uh, Janet, the stewardess. Uh, and, of course, uh, Marion Mathy as Lady Hallett, who uh, clearly suspects something is wrong when she receives a wedding anniversary gift, but a wedding anniversary from his first husband, Sir Charles' first <laughs> wife, shall we say, uh, as opposed to his, uh, his second wife. Are you asking me favourite character? Mm. Yeah, and um, unbelievably, I'm actually going to say Jason King, because I think in this, he... he is his flamboyance is sort of capped by being within the other two, ac the, the other two actors, and um, I suppose maybe I'm creepy because I think, oh wow, he's a, an author and he's he lives this jet set life. I wish that was me. <laughs> but you haven't got the creepy mustache and the wig. Well, that could be fixed. <laughs> <laughs> Rick. And, Rick T turning back to yourself again, um, musically, <laughs> I think once again Edwin Astley, Ed Edward Astley, uh, knocks it out of the park here. I mean, he, he certainly not only with the eye dents, with the whole range of things, and that use of the electric piano or the electric organ uh, mixed with the full orchestral theme does seem to present uh, an, uh, iconi uh, an iconic audio package for this whole series. Oh, it does. It's one of my favourite soundtrack sets. Uh, if you can, if you can, people out there can find. The, the, the soundtrack set to the series and it's a it's a great theme tune isn't it it really does when it starts when you get the the, the violin and then the organ kicks in and then the drums kick in it's a fantastic theme tune it's one of the best itc theme tunes i think and it really does set up a, the whole show and i just following off on something jenny said there about the cast i think she's absolutely right that the jason king character only works because he, he he's got the two straight men so to speak even though one of them is a woman <laughs> and I was so pleased that, that, that Robin, um, you know, pointed out that his favourite character was I'm not sure this is just me, Rick, but, but I suspect that actually there is a slight connection problem there because suddenly you were speeded up to the extent of almost being Rick Davy on helium, uh, which was <laughs> astounding. So, most peculiar, but still, never mind. It, it'll all add to the mystery, you see. I mean, this is where that, that special department can actually come in and actually say, why is Rick sounding so peculiar in this in this resonance rewind thing? Has he just, just is it is it a kind of connection with the home county scenario? Is it another episode that needs to be sorted through?
That's okay. <laughs> well, don't worry. You could always try logging out and logging back in again. I'm just saying it's a possibility. As we turn once again to, to, to Jessica, uh, and overall, do you feel this series would actually I will do, that. do? Do you feel the series would actually work in the in, in the present day? I mean, you know, we've talked about the X Files as being a kind of incarnation of that. Do you think that that's that, or, or do you think actually it is of its time? It's an artifact. It is like kind of funny to imagine it in modern times just because I'm like picturing all the hair and the outfits and the cars and you know everything was very um it seemed quintessentially 60s um so I think that the idea of like this little gang though um this little spy organization existing in modern times would definitely still work because I feel like spies are timeless like everyone loves a good spy thriller there's a reason why James Bond and other spy movies are still popular so there would still be a big audience I think you would just need like a, a huge update as far as the aesthetics go um and they would need to update their gadgets a lot <laughs> they would need a lot more advanced stuff so it would be a little bit harder <laughs> yeah the Cold War, of course, uh, Robin, still very much there. The mention of Latvian uh, pilots, uh, Albania, clearly the whole sense of brainwashing. And yes, it takes six days to brainwash a person. I don't have this on good psychological authority, but it seems to be a standard pattern that's seen within that. I mean, these were tropes that we tended to see as an accepted part of the spy-fi genre. And of course, this came in right at the very end of that. But when you think about it, and I've, I've just thought about it during the recording of this episode. We did. We had no background, really, to Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kuryakin. We had no background to any of the Mission Impossible team. So it kind of follows that 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 trope in a way. And I'm I'm very much wondering if, given the current world situation with uh, Russia amassing troops. Are we going back to this kind of storytelling about, you know, a new Cold War, perhaps? You know, we, we just don't know, but we live in scary times. But talking about this kind of storytelling, the way the story is told in Department S, if they were to remake it today, I would bet you exceptionally good money that it wouldn't be standalone episodes. There would have to be an overarching story storyline that would last the whole season because that's how tv shows are made nowadays 
Yeah, and I certainly think that that was one of the big strengths of the series, that they were standalone. I mean, uh, in terms of other favourite episodes, The Pied Piper of Hambledown is, is a personal favourite of mine, uh, as well as, of course, uh, A Small War of Nerves, which sees a young Anthony Hopkins uh, do a, a fantastic, credible line. Uh, Rick is hopefully back with us now. Rick, we're almost approaching that time where we'll be asking for final scores. Hopefully you can hear us without the Dalek uh, vocoders and various other elements in there as well. But uh, just Robin's point there about... If it were to be remade, do you think that um, uh, directors and producers could avoid the trap of saying, well, we've got to make it over a, uh, an eight-part uh, arc uh, series and, uh, and you can't just have a standalone episode? He's certainly still he's still suffering from, from difficulties. Clearly, I tell you what, Rick. Uh, we'll ask you to type in in terms of the chat your score for the episode. That's probably the easiest because otherwise we could be here for all sorts of things trying to actually decode and deconstruct the whole thing. Uh, I will reveal that uh, Pamela Suman uh, earlier uh, actually uh, went for a uh, an eight out of ten for this particular aspect. She says uh, uh, she gives the uh, the, the uh, uh, episode six days a score of eight, so eight for six, which is wonderful. Uh, let's turn to um jenny for a change what what's your score well the overall episode and the fabulous graphics and the wonderful music i give it nine this is interesting and jessica i have to go with an eight um as well uh i think that it was just lots of fun and i wouldn't mind rewatching it or watching more of it so solid mm. eight 
the the episode and indeed the series i think repays uh repeated viewing mind you i also say the same about the champions i think robin is and, and jenny are too uh too cruel on the champions and certainly alexandra <laughs> bastido who let's face it was a midweek driver i know she's no longer with us but at the same time she's uh she, she did some great stuff there so uh, i will still stand by that of course we've also lost Stuart damon sadly uh in the interim uh, period so uh, we, we we carry on uh regardless uh rick have you managed to i don't think you've actually managed to type in to the chat box your scorers yet but feel free to do so or you could try the microphone and who knows maybe it might just work It's fortunate we've got those Edward Ashlyn stingers to actually creep into place, but still, never mind. Um, Robin, what about yourself? I'm, I'm. You want to restore your reputation I'm going to go with I know. I, I think that I'm being generous and giving it a seven. It's not the worst episode I've ever seen. 
Um, it's not the best episode of anything that I've ever seen. I, I, I think I'll give it a seven. It, it was looking like a six, but I've decided to err on the side of caution and go with seven. What about you, Alex? I will be settling, all things considered, on an 8.5, because I feel that actually there there are one or two areas that perhaps don't work on that sort of system. Uh, But uh, I can actually read out now uh, the system. It's a nine from Rick Davey, a nine score there. Uh, Standalone episodes don't work for modern audiences. Nowadays, every television character has to have a soapy backstory, and he loves Department S. And yes, Rick, I agree. Can we please do without the soapy backstory? I know we need hygiene, but enough of the soapy backstories, you know, please. It's a step away from that line of things there. Hands, face and space, soapy backstories, uh, notwithstanding. Uh, so that has, I think, brought us to the end of this particular episode of Resonance Rewind. Uh, next week, of course, we start exploring the Talons and we find that all of Earth's problems are actually solved because in the uh, series that Gene Roddenberry always kind of wanted to make and put together after a fashion, and then was made uh, several years after he passed on, uh, Earth Final Conflict, the opening episode of indeed a five-season arc uh, scenario uh, is the subject of Resonance Rewind. Uh, a little plug as well for uh, Rick Davies' awesome Quite Media. That's Q-U-O-I-T. Playboys, Spies, uh, Private Eyes, Inspired by ITC. Lots of other great stuff coming through there. Um, Rick, have you got... I mean, we were talking last year about, obviously, the uh, the Persuaders and the celebration of that. We'll be looking at that in the not-too-distant future, uh, an episode called Power Switch. Uh, anything else you'd like to either type into the box or attempt to say? It's not quite getting through there anyway, but it's been a delight connecting with your good self despite the challenge though. Who would have thought? Jessica in North Carolina, no problem whatsoever. Crystal clear connection. Uh, Robin in Wales, likewise. Even Jenny in Newcastle upon Tyne, a, a pure connection there. Rick Davy. It's obviously being attacked by by some sort of gremlin, but I'm sure he'll return in the not-too-distant future. Uh, to Robin Pierce, to Jenny Bill, to Jessica Burtis and Rick Davey, keep on keeping on and uh, keep on resonating. Mm-hmm.